0: Hello. Well, every day holds new surprises just now. So who knows what might be going on by the time you're listening to this. Matthew Grant here and I hope you and your family are managing okay wherever you are. It's been incredible to see how communities of all types have been working to help each other deal with the Covid crisis. We're going to be talking over the next few weeks to people directly or indirectly involved in using innovation and analytics to get the world back up and running again both through our podcasts and moving our events online. And look out for some special treats for you to preserve the spirit of our live events. But for today, we're bringing you the highlights of our event last month when we got together with Google Cloud and some of the companies working with them to find out what they're up to pushing the technology boundaries in insurance. Whilst you may not be able to get out and go to events just now, here's a chance to remember what a live event looked like and why we bothered doing this. As a special treat, we've also got a short video from this and of course our usual batch of excellent photos on the website and Flickr as a reminder of how and why 250 people came together to join us on a Tuesday night. Links in the episode notes. You're going to hear first from Robin Mertens talking to Damien Thompson of Google Cloud, then Aeneas Viner from Saitora and Adam Havan from Quantify. Then I'm on in the second half with more partners, Google's Apogee and Aviva. We've got a whole lot more lined up with the team at Google Cloud this year.
1: More details to follow soon. Damon, thank you. We really appreciate your support. You have been here before. I have. And uh, was it any good? And presumably it was, otherwise you wouldn't have come back.
2: (laughs) It's brilliant to be back here. The signal from that event was just how huge the demand was for, for someone like Google Cloud to be Uh, playing a part in the insurance industry. So I think I've got about 60 requests, so if I still haven't got back to you, many apologies. We're we're building out the team, we're recruiting, so we will definitely get to you.
1: From the point of view of innovators, it's marvelous to have Google in the space. Just so that we can set the scene, what do you see as insurance?
2: In the last year, we've really we've really thought hard about it. So, wh- what we see clearly across every sector is that uh, the importance of data and our, our customers, be they large enterprises, small uh, corporates, startups, the importance of data to their business. Uh, and one of the biggest use cases is that whole risk identification, risk mitigation. So, so if I look at it for, for Google Cloud as a whole, uh, the opportunity is endless. It's, it's every single industry. Uh, we can see, you know, uh, healthcare. We can see transport logistics. We can see um, shipping companies investing in getting ready for this IoT-connected world. Uh, and all of that's going to drive a big change in how they see risk identification, risk management. What I see looking after insurance in the UK is the is the opportunity to help insurers uh, and brokers and insure techs get on the front foot and really start to exploit the opportunity that's been created in that space. And then... What is it
1: about insurance that gets you the most excited? I mean, there's a, there's a, you've raised, there's a broad range of things there, but you can't do them all. Where, where are you going to concentrate your attention in 2000, 2001,
2: 2020, 2021? The thing that's shifting this year, uh, and we've seen it in a few other sectors, is that awareness that reinventing the business from inside out is going to be possible, and it's going to be possible through data and it's going to be possible both inside-out disruption, but also outside-in via, uh, via the likes of the InsurTechs. So, so that's the thing that gives me the most excitement. Geeking out a bit, it's, it's the fact that in insurance, you get to model the entire world. You know, The, the whole world is your, your target market, every single industry, every single individual. So, so that's just super exciting.
1: And there's an element to which you need to sell those propositions into truly digital businesses. Is there an element to which... You have to select the people you work with as to around how digitally mature they are to be able to sell the sort of propositions you're talking to there?
2: That happens both on uh, who do we partner with and then on where our clients are in their particular journey. So we, we've, uh, and again, Google's advertising business has got a really good model they developed on data on maturity for clients. So, so it's pretty easy to understand where a client is. Um, what we try and do is help them understand where that is and help them understand what's possible, not just in you know, kind of a linear, straightforward project perspective, but how they can leapfrog the competition. So how the tech we produce, um, how the ways uh, the insure techs around the world have implemented that technology for the benefit of insurance, that they really can start leapfrogging um, their, their perception of what's possible. And, and that's really exciting. We're already seeing some of my colleagues here. We've got a number of clients in London and globally who are, who are on that path. So I'm really excited about seeing where that goes in 2020 and as that evolves through the next three to five years.
1: You like communities. Is this the only community you're you're supporting? I mean, where where have you placed your bets?
2: This year is is really exciting because we're investing more in ecosystems and communities. So uh, you're the very first this year. So super excited to support everyone's learning and development. The other place we're investing is the, the Chief Data Officer, the Chief Data Science Community. So you'll see um, some of you will see on March the 25th. Uh, we're sponsoring the uh, Data IQ Top 100 for this year. There may be one or two nominees in the audience. In terms of this community, how can
1: we help you? I mean, are, are there what, what, who do you want to hear from? Are there particular you know, partners, potential partners, particular propositions that uh, we can help amongst ourselves bring away.
2: The people we get most excited with is the ones who are really passionate about the industry. So who can bring that, that real industry expertise, can bring that real burning desire to, to bring something to market, to change something within their organisations, uh, and are just looking for um, a partner to help them cross the... Uh, I don't know how to get started, or I don't know where to get funding, or I don't know how to get some momentum behind this. And we've already seen a few people we invited tonight. We've connected them up with a few of uh, the insurtechs in the room and can already see magic starting to happen. So that, that, that's... Um, what I'd really like to say is we're open for people who are really passionate about what they're trying to achieve and be demanding of us. I know I'm woeful at uh, replying to emails, you know, but, but please be demanding. We're building out the teams. There'll be 10 more of me um, this year.
1: Well, thank you. And I know you are very busy, and that's because you've got an awful lot to do, but we appreciate you coming here. We appreciate your support. And um, Damien Thompson, everybody. Thank you. One of the things that Google asked us to do was seek out some of the partners that they work with, and you'll see that as a recurring theme throughout the evening. So first up, Aeneas Weiner. No, you're a weiner. We discussed this earlier, and I've still got it wrong. (laughs) (laughs) From Saitora, Please come and join us. And um, Adam, Adam Hammond. Come and join us. So let's first establish what you guys do, uh, Adam. You you
3: start in, in in a few words. What does Quantify do? Uh, so Quantify, uh, we're a services company. We do machine learning and AI and data and analytics um, as a service. Uh, we're primarily industry agnostic, but a lot of the traction that we've seen uh, in this space comes from the insurance industry.
1: And uh, I think most of us know Saitora by now. If you're not, you've not been attending regularly enough. But a little summary.
4: Yeah, first of all, great to be here and uh, be part of the community as well. My co-founder Richard was on the podcast recently, so if you you put your hand up earlier and uh, you were honest, you actually heard him last week. Uh, His name is Richard. So, Saitora, we are transforming commercial insurance and uh, specifically the underwriting process inside of that. And that's really something we're really passionate about and we're trying to bring technology to seeing how that can be improved all the way along the underwriting process from the the customer experience in the beginning where we've deployed things like zero-question underwriting front ends to the improvement of loss ratio for the application of external data to risk scoring, um, all the way to expense ratio improvement where you replace uh, menial and uh, repetitive human processes with um, artificial intelligence and data and make the underwriting process shorter which is, you know, good for the combined ratio and also good for the customer experience. You both mentioned AI
1: in that uh, the contrary in me compels me to answer this question. There's a lot of hype around AI three years ago. Is Are solutions like yours now delivering on the hype? Are there palpable sort of use cases that you could tell us about that would show that it's been worth all the fuss?
3: Yeah, so on the, on the use case side, I think the things that we're seeing most frequently and companies are finding most interesting that, that justify the hype are anything that handles and turns unstructured data into structured data. And what I mean by that is, is a lot of the regression models or anybody's decision relies on data points that are, are typically found in a table. Uh, that you can say each person has this category. Unstructured data might be a, a text field, or it might be a picture, um, or it might be audio that comes in. Uh, so specifically within that, I would say the use case we've seen most frequently people take advantage of is document understanding. So when it can be either you know enrollment forms coming in, it can be processing claims, it can be through the use of a, a chat bot to do text understanding. But bringing that data in-house and then finding... Um, either specific entities within that data um, or specific fields of value. And what it really allows companies to do then is, is have more data to drive some of their decisions and drive some of their insights rather than what they might have been previously limited to. Um, so well, as I feel like some of the basics of machine learning uh, in the last two to three years since the hype really began, uh, people have have caught up and a lot of them have basic machine learning models in place, uh, taking advantage Of some of the solutions and models out there that transition this data that was not as accessible uh, to something that's completely accessible is what's currently coming to the forefront and and justifying the continued hype behind machine learning and AI.
1: It is, you described what you were doing earlier. If you could pin your side tour to one thing that you are most proud of, where you think you make the most benefit, what would it be?
4: In terms of my sort of favorite use case that we often have seen delivering real value with customers, I would say that's submission triage. So what that is, is really bringing data to scoring submissions that come in before the underwriters even look at those submissions. So the problem is that um, many insurers get more submissions than their underwriters have time to really um, look at in a lot of detail, in the detail that it deserves to do that submission justice. Um, a number I can quote is about 25% at most get converted of all the submissions that come in. So if they spend the same time on all of them, basically 75% of their time essentially wasted. So what submission scoring does is it ranks those submissions by relevant criteria such as um, you know their likelihood to convert, whether they're in appetite or not, and also how profitable they are. And so they put in a queue and only the most... You know, profitable, the most likely to convert, and the most in-appetite submissions get looked at by the underwriter. So they just use their time in a much more efficient way. And I think that's something where without AI, without external data, you couldn't do it. And it's delivering really tangible value to our clients, from you know large companies um, all the way to small digitally enabled MGAs.
1: And we understand that you take unstructured data and then you do magic things with it. I mean, what's the What's your best conjuring trick?
3: In my experience, at least with insurers, uh, a lot of them have, or had a few years ago, heuristic-based models to make decisions. Now they're slowly improving to basic machine learning problems. Uh, a lot of them you know, immediately want to make the, the jump to kind of advanced learning or neural network problems, but you often get a larger gain in, in your accuracy or your performance and evaluation metrics from adding new features and adding new data. Um, So that's really what things like the the document understanding um, would do to be able to, to turn those data points that your model might not have had access to previously into data points that it now does. And then that, in in turn, helps with things like triaging, which is a great end-use case um, for a lot of the data, Um, to be able to come in, have a score that you can rely on, and say, you know, this is how I'm going to rank the order of ways that people look um, at information and at uh, submissions.
1: And how long is the average... um, I heard a nice expression the other day. I think it may even be Damien responsible... From project to product, which I thought, you know, you guys come in, the insurers give you a really dreadfully disorganized data set, uh, your machine has to learn. How, how long is it taking from the start of your project to something that you are leaving behind that underwriters are really, or insurers are really benefiting from? What's, you know, what's the journey?
4: The trend that we're seeing in the market is that basically all companies are becoming tech companies, and insurance companies are no exception. And the time to implementation, the time to value, what I've seen, it really depends on where on that spectrum on becoming a tech company in insurer is, in terms of how long it takes. So I've seen everything from somebody who hasn't even got a development team in-house, a large insurer who has to call Deloitte every time they want to do something. Obviously there it will take a bit longer. We might even have to work, um, and Satora are set up to do that with a sort of a third-party um, software provider, and then also a third-party technology provider. So there's three people involved, and then once you count the Ensure it's four. So you can imagine it, it takes quite a while to get anything done. That's maybe on the one hand of the spectrum where it can take around six months to go to production. On the other side, though, we have a number of new digitally enabled MGAs working with us. And what's interesting about those, they're real tech companies. Their ratio of engineers to non engineers is the same as ours. So what I can name is a sequence. And you know when we went into their office, it looked like our office, and they were up and running with our API in a matter of days, and they were live in production in a matter of weeks. So. It really depends on where on that spectrum to becoming a tech company you are. I think what's important though, for companies like us is that we're not too judgmental as to where you are there. And we have people who can help you um, to integrate n- no matter how, how far you,
3: you are on that spectrum of becoming a tech company.
1: Adam, do you share that view or the Americans doing it faster?
3: It depends uh, essentially to where your company is from a maturity level, uh, how clean the data is, how many sources you're bringing in, et cetera. Uh, some things can be a little bit more fixed. Uh, so again, I, I keep harping on it, but the examples of looking at unstructured data, typically customers just have a repository. Um, they submit it so you can get information and build pipelines from that in I would say you know two to three months comfortably. Uh, then that, that data on its own isn't necessarily valuable. The value comes from deriving insights from the resulting structured data that you get. So that's when it would need to be incorporated um, into a larger pipeline. So until you see that type of value behind it, uh, that's typically in the four to six month range is what we've seen.
1: What do you do with Google? How, how,
3: what's the partnership look like? What do you do? What do they do? You, Adam, you're first. Um, so we're a, a service partner, you know, with Google. So we go in and we help people with uh, custom-built solutions uh, when. There might be a need for it um, around a specific area, and so that's where we get involved uh, with the Google Cloud Platform ecosystem. So we, we use a lot of their tools um, within our solution, uh, within our solutions, and uh, when companies are already you know adapting that platform, it makes it very easy to implement and often quicker to get to an end result rather than trying to implement something or derive a solution on prem.
1: Thank you both very much. That was very insightful. Thank you very much. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you all the
0: We returned after the break, and I'm talking first to Imam Hock of Quantexa, and then Oliver Ogg of Apogee, owned by Google, along with Stefan Makowski, head of data strategy at Aviva. So, one of the joys of working with people like Google is we bring people in who may not be that well known in insurance, I think you do do some things in insurance, mm-hmm. but could you just in a, a sort of very briefly explain what Quantexa does?
5: Sure. Uh, We provide a platform that we call Contextual Decision Intelligence. Uh, Gartner talks about decision intelligence, uh, and we add Contextual to it. So it's probably worth explaining what that is. Uh, And we work with a number of insurers, actually. We have a very large global um, insurer that we're working with and a big US insurer. So Contextual, imagine this, you're going to buy a house. Now, do you start by going on to the house, looking through the post box and saying, ah, I can see a little bit of this house, I think it's worth half a million, I'll buy it. No. The reality is you don't. You go inside, you walk around, you look at the heating system, you look at the property and everything else there is to see. Consider that your internal data. And then you probably do a little research about the public transport, the crime rates, the schools, and so on and so forth, your external data. So every single human always uses context to make a decision. You're looking around for all of that data. And that's what we provide. So we provide software to companies, be it banks, government departments, telcos, and insurers, so that they can build context. So in the technical world, context is that elusive single view of customer, So we do that extremely well. We produce an analytical single view of customer across all that data. And then we also produce a network view. So what does that mean? If it's a company, it's the directors, the ownership, the company, previous companies, the employees, and so on and so forth. It's the products you may have sold them to the different divisions, how they interact, the claims, the policies. And all of that information forms the context that provides the input to your model to make a decision. So that's the first part. Second part is decision intelligence. What is that? Everyone knows what business intelligence is. That's kind of like Tableau, ClickTech, for the older amongst you, Cognos, business objects, where really you're taking data, and you're sort of munging the data up and trying to produce some information so a person can make a decision. why do you want the person to make a decision if you could make an automated decision? So in the world of digital channels, customers want decisions like that. They want to get a quote, they want to decide, and they want to have a decision. So the decision intelligence part is about using all of that data and context in your models to either fully automate a decision or refer it to a human where they can make an augmented decision. And that's what
0: contextual decision intelligence is all about. So, let's talk a little bit about this contextual data. So, one of the challenges, of course, is that out there, there is either too much data or not enough data. So, Correct. So, where, where do you find that there is sufficient data, that, to your point about the system makes a decision versus having to refer it. You know, wh- how do you convince the insurers that the data is good enough to make a, to make a decision? Because you can't always be referring it, clearly. Correct.
5: Yeah, so the key here is to get the data into a state where a model understands it and can make a good decision. Uh, and obviously, those horrendous words that always crop up when everyone talks about a data project, data quality. So what we do is we deal with poor data quality by using data quantity to overcome the data quality problem. So if you're looking at a customer who might be a company and you're missing a load of data or it's not really representative, if you mix it up with third-party data sets like Dun & Bradstreet who's a customer of ours or Bureau Van Dyke or Companies House, then you can actually very quickly fill in all the blanks. So we produce that single view across your data by using more Uh, data quantity over quality and that makes a huge difference if you can get the right data into your model your model is significantly more uh, accurate regardless of whether it's a AI model in the new sense of AI
0: or the traditional sense. I think a lot of your work is in the banking world did you discover insurance or did insurance discover you and is that a happy place to be? I've
5: I've worked in insurance a very long time. Um, originally, I was a founder of, someone called, of something called Detica Net Reveal. I set up the UK Insurance Fraud Bureau. We provided systems to RSA, Direct Line, AXA, Zurich, Canadian Insurance, and so on and so forth globally. Um, we decided as a startup around four years ago to focus on banking, uh, initially, because the financial crime problem with the big fines meant projects go quickly, licenses happen quickly, and if you're a startup, you want to have cash in the bank. Now we've broadened out from uh, banking and we're working with insurers because we know them well, uh, and also government departments and telcos.
0: So I'm not going to ask you this question now, but at some point, Robin, and I would like to come and ask you about what are the lessons from open banking or open data for banking? And how, what's that implication for insurance, but can you answer that in sort of one sentence?
5: There's a very quick answer to that. Open banking is interesting, but actually the insurers got there first, because the price comparison engines is the equivalent of that sharing of data across insurers. And the Insurance Fraud Bureau is miles ahead of where the banks are. I mean, the banks are only just talking about sharing data. The IFB was sharing all policies, all claims for the entirety of the UK back in 2005.
0: Well, I hope you all heard that because that's why you come to these things and give up your evening because if anyone asks you in the office what does open insurance data mean versus open banking, you've just heard it from Imam. (laughs) So, thank you. So, clearly with all that data out there, you were introduced to us by Google Cloud, you must yep. rely very heavily on a, a sort of robust hosting platform. For you, what, what determines what choice you use when you look at yeah. different platforms? So, interestingly, as a startup,
5: we started off working with all three. Three, I mean AWS, Azure, and uh, Google Cloud. We do run some of our own software as a service, and we have, of the three we've worked with, chosen to run it on GCP. A uh, number of reasons. Uh, their security environment, their, as mentioned earlier, ease of execution with uh, things like Kubernetes, forward thinking, containerized deployment. Actually, they're cheaper, uh, cost for cost in our view. Uh, And some of our major customers have chosen GCP as their strategic platform for cloud, HSBC being one example.
0: Good and for anybody here that doesn't know what a Kubernetes is, because Aeneas mentioned earlier on, have you again got a nice another succinct description of a Kubernetes? Yeah,
5: basically it allows you to take your software or application and deploy it in a way where it can literally spin up to huge numbers of uh, servers, right down to small numbers very quickly, and it allows that deployment to be secure and easy to update, and that's what it's all about.
0: Well, ma'am, thank you very much. I've certainly learned a lot in the last few minutes, and I hope everybody else has. And, and the benefits of recording this is we can, we can send it out there for people to get it a second time round. So thank you very much for thank joining you. us tonight. <laughs> so I'd now like to welcome on stage Oliver Ogg, who is head of digital strategy for Apogee, which is a Google Cloud company, and Stefan Makowski, who is head of data strategy from Aviva. You both are uh, described as digital strategists. So Holly, going to you first, what does that role involve?
6: I think my colleagues are convinced it's something hand, very hand-wavy. Um, so um, I spend most of my time uh, helping our customers really understand an opportunity ahead of them primarily around the world of APIs. So opening themselves up uh, for external innovation, open ecosystems, open insurance, and open banking.
0: OK. And so just as you've mentioned APIs, and we haven't yet described what Apigee does, could you first of all just give us a kind of high level view of what Apigee does? And then next learning point is just for the audience who don't know how an API works or think they do but don't really, could you describe an API? API?
3: Uh,
6: it's, it's always good to level set, because actually we find there are so many interpretations um, so Apigee was an acquisition uh, brought into Google Cloud in November 2016 um, and we're a cross cloud API management platform. Um, why that can be very impactful to businesses uh, is that it means that you can manage this rich catalog of APIs that should be sources of truth of data or services within your business. Now you might choose just to do that internally, uh, maybe as part of a digital transformation, or you might choose to do that externally as part of leveraging, you know, a, a rich partner ecosystem or external innovation. Um, we work with both digital natives and, you know, traditional incumbents on, on that journey. And a lot of my job is to help customers execute well because it's just a technology thing. Um, on the piece around APIs, I, um, you know, APIs have been around for years and years and years. It's a way of
0: twenty years. I looked it up.
6: Thank you. I'll take note of that. And it is a way of exchanging data. It's a data contract. Now, if you execute... With just a technology mindset, what we tend to see is kind of incremental effects. So what I spend most of my do- most of my time doing with customers is helping them really realize um, exponential effects, or what we often talk about, network effects of growth, because you are unlocking data with sort of lots of reusability, um, either internally or externally.
0: Okay, Stefan, for you. So... Um, and we're going to come back to you, Ollie. So you had a career completely outside of outside of insurance. You worked with um, Dunhamby, if I got that right, in, who were looking at basically. When I last looked at them, looking at retail data, and and one of the pleasures of this job is finding the people who've had all the choices in the world and come into insurance. So I'd be intrigued to see what brought you in from the glamorous world of retail into the even more exciting world of insurance? Uh, that's a great question. Um, so my role in Aviva is uh, head of day
7: strategy, which um, can mean lots of different things in different companies. I think uh, it's like a CDO, but doesn't get paid as much is probably about the best way of describing it. Um, so at the time, uh, and still today, The journey that Aviva was on and led to the development of the Digital Garage, which is based in Hoxton. So our our head office, as many people will know, is Liverpool Street. Um, And then we've got the Hoxton Garage on, on Hoxton Square. So a very different environment, not just because of the, the digital capabilities we were building, but also trying to be forward-thinking about what an insurer could look like. But I think evolving kind of what an insurer could be in terms of ways of working, uh, what the environment looks like. Um, so really it was the idea of taking something, and, and is 323 years old, but understanding how you could evolve that and apply some of the practices and the retail thinking that had been around for the best part of 20 years now so Dunham-Bee, um basically in the UK worked, for everyone who doesn't know is, is, is Tesco's data science arm so they took uh, a lot of the data that was gathered through the club card process and understood how to use that to do two things, so w- one is, it definitely is the intelligent use of data, but I think the thing that sometimes get lost is focus on the customer so how do you give the customer the things that they want versus the things that you want to give them, um, and that can sound like it's a nice fluffy thing, but actually it's quite a hard-edged commercial strategy so lots of the world's leading companies including some of the tech companies today um you know will have had that strategy at some point embedded into what they're doing and over the long term that will see you know longer term sustainable gains building customer loyalty so for me it was the attraction of trying to build that capability in an insurance industry that you know has got lots of customer pain points in it lots and lots of data so so you know we've talked a lot Today, about APIs, algorithms, applying machine learning, AI. I think even if you talk to Google, they will say, you know, they don't have the best algorithms in the world. What they have got is more data than anyone else. So for me, going to work for Aviva, where we've got a large Data set that we can work on to solve those problems for better outcomes for our
0: customers and our partners, that was attractive for me. So, the Viva, Viva in the Garage is one of the early advocates. Your previous CEO was a big supporter of this, of going digital and really pushing everything through that. Is that still the main focus for the company, or in, how do you sort of manage this support the new versus you know, wrap around the existing systems and, and evolve? Is there, has it been a big change, or is it? Yeah, so,
7: so I think if you, look, if you look at a lot of companies as they go through this digital and data journey, um, it was absolutely the right thing to create um, a new environment that is not just about um, you know getting some space for some new thinking. It's allowed us to attract different talent to, into the organisation as well, so that, that, that very much is still a strategy for Aviva to bring in fresh thinking and, and challenge what we've been doing. I think where we've got to now, and we, we have a new um, CEO in, in, in Morris Tullet who's been there since March last year, um, what Morris has, has done is you know he's announced publicly a, a, a different strategy to what we had before not a great departure but I think what, what we're doing now is taking a lot of the things that we developed over the previous three to four years within digital and we're kind of applying that back into the mothership so we're, we're finding areas where we've, we've kind of accelerated ahead but we now want to harvest the value of that and push it back into into the mothership so we're seeing that that come together so the, the Hoxton office is, is still very much you know part of our part of our planets actually where our personal lines, GI business is headquartered. Um, so, you know, we, we've kind of shifted the focus. But what came out of that digital journey was was data. So we have something in Aviva called Aviva Quantum, which is the organization I sit in. So that's our global data science practice. Um, somewhere close to 600, 650 data science professionals, for the most part, data scientists globally. So, you know, out of that has kind of evolved a, a slightly different model, but, but that data part is very strong for us still.
0: How do you get balance that access to the APIs going digital versus you've just got to keep the machine? running or keep the business running but still move forward digitally
7: uh it it is a balancing act so it feels sometimes like walking a a tightrope actually so you've you've got lots of things you need to do just to keep the lights on so you know that that takes a big chunk of focus so finding the time to focus on those new things is is not always the easiest thing to do i think our lens to it has been you know where's it going to make a difference so with the new space with the, the kind of new innovative stuff that we're doing That's around kind of new muscles that we're trying to build so again bringing in some of the customer thinking from retail into the garage in Hoxton because that's starting new and it's not really a capability that a lot of insurers would have. We've been able to go quicker in the new space and then alongside that we've been trying to update what we've been doing in the areas that we've been doing well for 323 years the product manufacturing, the underwriting the analytics that support the pricing and and claims. So the thing that combines both of those though is a focus on what's right for our customers so the customer outcomes and our partner outcomes. So those two things kind of come together and help us put a lens to it. But it's not an easy process. There's a lot of prioritization. A lot of... competition for funding on where we're going to invest in those things. And we talk about APIs as being things that you know, I think most people instinctively go to APIs that help us build you know, flashy new apps and customer propositions. You take an organization the size of Aviva and there'll be many others in the room that you know, large enterprise as well, whether insurance or otherwise, the internal API kind of network is a Frankenstein's monster of kind of data flowing about the place, right? So we're on a huge simplification program which is wedded into our overall strategy to start looking at how we can do those things differently. So it's not just a kind of innovative experiment over here for some data science and machine learning stuff. Right in the back ends and the operational efficiency of what we're doing is sorting out what we're doing around APIs and
0: how data flows around the organization. Okay, well, Frankenstein's monster. Oli, I can see you sort of lighting up the opportunity to help with that. So how do you, as Apogee, how do you deal with organizations that don't necessarily have the ability to get access to an API? Have got... Data buried in multiple systems, multiple silos. Can you? Are there things you can do to help extract that data and help companies like Aviva just get more access to their existing information?
6: Uh, sure. So um, I think I think it's, it's all about how you execute. Right. So. Um, uh, I, think, I think there's a maturity journey that an awful lot of organizations have gone through and a lot can be learnt from industries such as retail uh, so you don't make the same mistakes uh, so retail, telco uh, f- uh, the, the, the banks in their chase for open banking have all gone through quite some painful journeys so um, having a rich catalogue of internal APIs like reusable assets that can be leveraged by multiple parts of the business, you know, different parts of the you know, different operating companies, different businesses Units Um, having those highly repeatable assets mean you should be able to leverage vast efficiencies of scale whilst whilst enjoying kind of team autonomy or or channel um, autonomy. Um, Making sure that these assets are sources of truth for all channels. So you know whether it's chatbots, external partners, internal um, web apps, staff enablement. they're reusing these same assets as well. And then kind of continually feeding them and watering them as digital assets. Um, So if you're on a journey of agile and funding or whatever, hopefully you've got stable um, product funding for these assets because they need to be fed and watered. And that's exactly how Google operate internally, right? We've got these highly reusable assets that are continually fed and watered because we expect that lots of teams, whether they're internal or external, will reuse them.
0: And on that point about partners, so for people here that might have a business idea or an insurance company that wants to hook into some of your applications, is it, uh, what's the process you have to go through to be able to test out what you're doing at Apogee and see if they can work with your APIs? I mean, that's almost a non event,
6: right? So we, we, we would basically help you um, put a single pane of glass, effectively, around Uh, the APIs that you want to expose so that you can do that safely and securely. Um, Now, when that scales out to, let's say, thousands of APIs, that means that that kind of engine room of production can be done in a safe and secure and consistent way. So that gives the organization kind of confidence. But the key thing is really unlocking those network effects. So the key thing is that partners can onboard really quickly and that's where you see quite transformative effects i mean i don't know what it's like for your partners to sign up today and start going into production with perhaps some of your core data and services but uh, for for many of our customers you know it it goes from years or months to uh, weeks and days uh, that a partner will go into production leveraging you know the apis
0: and is there a kind of sandbox environment where somebody can come and try it before they have to buy it? Uh,
6: sure, absolutely. Uh, and it depends on what you want to do and how brave you are. I mean, one of my favorite stories is ABN Amro, who you know were quite brave and put out a, a developer portal or partner portal and basically said, we're thinking of doing these things. They're not yet baked. We're not committing to publishing them forever. Um, they're alphas or minimal viable products. Tell us what you think. And they run grungy hackathons in venues like this. Um, and, you know, for, for a quite safe brand, you know, that's... That's quite unique. Um, another great example is um, uh, Arity that spun out of all states. And I think just back to your point about like protecting the momentum of innovation in a business, this is a great use case. So definitely uh, Google that. Um, Allstate recognized that they couldn't do this well within the confines of the, of the traditional business. So they spun out Arity as a startup, as a separate business with separating operating models to monetize the parent's data. Uh, and they are now signing up competitors to the parents, but there's this virtuous cycle of data, this kind of flywheel effect that the more data you collect, the more value, the more insight, and the higher price point of your, your services.
0: Okay, oh, Stefan, back to you. How do you, uh, similar kind of question, how do you work with partners? So if there's an organization out there that feels they can help Aviva, what's the best way into the organization?
7: Uh, by all means, contact me. You can get me on all the usual places. So um, part of the garage is, um, I think my, my observation is we're trying to be a bit more kind of outward looking um, as kind of trying to lead in the industry. Um, you'll hear a lot of other industries, particularly in retail, <clears throat> when they're talking about data they'll, they'll talk a lot more about collaboration and sharing in that space uh, I think you know insurance is probably a bit behind the curve on that so we're trying to move move it towards that place we heard some examples of that earlier on um, so you know get in touch with me We've we've got different ways you can engage really so you know we've got a venture fund so we're looking to invest in, in startups as well um, if they if they meet certain criteria and we partner with accelerators and uh, and incubators as well but um, get in touch with with myself or you know any of the uh, the ways you can get in touch with the Viva it will find our way to one of those teams um, and really we're looking to just just have good conversations uh, we've got a great space down in Hoxton as well so you know if you, even if you want to partner and do events you can do it that way it doesn't necessarily be a, a kind of commercial relationship we're looking to learn new things as well so again that's that's part of the mindset
0: well, yeah, I don't think we've made clear, and if we did, then my brain's gone, that Apogee has actually been acquired by Google and you're a Google company. So you can just say a quick few words about that. Um, yeah, so I mean, we're
6: part of Google Cloud. So we're a product area
0: um, within,
6: within Google Cloud um, acquired in November 2016. So you know, it's one of those interesting situations where we're quite autonomous, which is awesome, but we can leverage like, the, the greater Google as well.
0: Okay, well, we're going to have to... Draw it to a close for the two of you. Oli Stefan, thank you very much for, uh, for joining us. So there you go. That's what live events sounded like. But don't worry, we've got a great set of events coming up for the rest of the year, supported by more of the industry's leaders. Now, inevitably, we're going to have to push some back or we're going to be going fully digital. But look out for our online interactive digital events coming very soon using one of the industry's best platforms, proving that the spirit of innovation in insurance still thrives, whatever the constraints. And thanks for listening. If you haven't already found it, check out the back catalogue of podcast we're going to be updating our podcast leaderboard at the start of April so your chance to promote those ones that you think are the most interesting please do keep telling us what you think by commenting on our LinkedIn posts and our articles or just sharing your news directly Uh, and thanks also to all of you who tell me that you like the newsletter it does make it all worthwhile in these strange times